This week, it's a bag of mixed greens. We don't really have a theme for this episode, so you're going to get spinach, arugula, and maybe some baby reds. And you're not getting dessert until you eat it. In the second go-round, council approved a 23-story tower on two single-family home lots in Oliver. And in the I-lost-count-four-years-ago go-round, council approved a contingency plan for the Metroline signaling system. Plus, Edmonton now has access without fear policies, and you'll be able to tote without fear 10 meters away from any doorway. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally. We're here in episode seven, the last episode before council takes a week-long break next week. <sighs> so lazy. So lazy. <laughs> Don't they ever work? Let's jump right into the rapid fire segment. Commune Auto, a Montreal-based car share company, acquired a controlling interest in Pogo Car Share this week. If you believe that this deal has been in the works for a while, it finally makes sense why the Pogo Zone had that one tiny island of coverage right by Campus St. John. We found their secret base. In an effort to combat loud vehicles, Edmonton installed a microphone and display that shows drivers how many decibels their Dodge Ram and Harleys are emitting. As it turns out, there was a singular effect. Edmontonians treated it like a high scoreboard, and it became one of the loudest spots in the city for vehicle noise. Now, despite being a location with guaranteed revving of engines and citizens intentionally breaking bylaws, no peace officers were on site to hand out tickets. The city has a lot of studying to do in order to be a proper cash cow. The View Weekly Best of Edmonton came out this week, and the winner in the category for best use of taxpayer dollars was bike lanes. We're just going to sit in some dead air for a little bit. Speaking Municipally is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, and one of the things that means is we get to tell you about another member podcast each week, and Mac, what do we have this week? This week we're going to tell you about Let's Find Out, which is a podcast by Chris Chang and Phillips, who is Edmonton's fourth historian laureate. Um, we've worked with Chris a couple of times now. He's published a couple of stories that came from Taproot Edmonton's Story Garden. The most recent was called The High Rise Inquisition, and it explored what the Edmonton firefighters are doing, the fire rescue services is doing differently now that we've got 60 story towers. Uh, how do they prepare differently? How did that come about? Uh, and there's a really interesting little nugget in that story about the city center airport. So check that out. Chris has another episode coming out next week, which also came from the story garden. And I'm looking forward to that one. You can check him out at letsfindoutpodcast.com. It's a good listen. Coming up first this week, we have the rehash of an issue that came up last year, the 23-story tower in Grandin. What happened, Mac? So in June of 2017, Westridge Pacific brought a proposal forward for a 28-story tower, and council at the time voted against it, deeming it to be too large for the two-lot site. And this is in Grandin, which is in Oliver, around 99th Avenue and 111th Street. So they went away reworked the proposal, and it came back to council this week. They lowered the height a little bit, so it was now 23 stories, and they added some family units, some bungalow-sized townhomes to the base of the building, hoping that these accommodations would win them the favor of city council. Uh, the report they went to council said that administration, the city planners, did not support the updated proposal. Despite their best efforts, uh, the city still felt it was overdeveloped for such a small site. The city has historically thought many of the towers that city council then proceeds to approve were overdeveloped or not in line with the planning 
process for the sites, but a lot of them got approved, including this one. This one used to have the badge of honor of being the only tower that city council didn't approve and didn't take long for them to cave. <laughs> no. So they approved it. Uh, there was only three counselors that voted against uh, approving the tower. That was counselors Henderson, McKean, and Hamilton. Which is an interesting set of counselors, uh, Henderson and McKean being the only two counselors who ever take heat for approving uh, tower because they're the only ones with wards that have towers. It's really surprising. This goes into some of the issues that we have with our city council where all decisions are made as a group, but you have a one ward representative that's supposed to represent the community interests who only has a one of 13 voice in the room. What you fundamentally get is density in their backyard tends to get approved by council because you don't want it over in the single family home seas south of the river. And, you know, that's maybe a fair point. Oliver is the most populous neighborhood in the city. Uh, it's also the densest, right? So you've got probably 11,000 people per square kilometer, which is, you know, 10 times the average in Edmonton, but is a far cry from the densest places we think about, you know, Toronto or New York or any of these types of place, places. So the, even approving this tower, it's not going to materially change, you know, the density of Oliver. And it's interesting to note this tower, it's going to be 178 units. Uh, there's going to be about a dozen, three or four bedroom family units, which is one of the things that got it approved. Right. But this 178 unit tower is going on a lot that was for two single family homes. And some of the previous designs had it only, you know, five meters from adjacent properties, which they've gone and they've doubled it. There's, look, we have so much space now, 10.5 meters if you go outside and look 10.5 meters, that's not very far. Right. And this tower, the reason it got approved in the way it did, it doesn't follow the area redevelopment plan for Oliver and Grandin, which is the area it's in, but it's very close to an LRT station. It's only 250 meters from an LRT station. So the city has a transit-oriented development policy, which basically says if in any area of the city we have a request for rezoning that doesn't follow the ARP. If it's within 400 meters of a transit center or a planned transit center, use the TOD guidelines instead. And that's how we sort of got here. It makes sense to me that we've got this on the books. We've decided that transit-oriented development as a city is something that's important to us. And we've got policies and plans related to that. It, it makes a lot of sense to me that it would supersede that. The problem, I suppose, is that in theory, the community was much more involved in the development of the area redevelopment plan and had greater input into what that might look like. And now we're kind of saying that that doesn't matter because we've got this new thing that maybe that community didn't have the same opportunity to uh, provide input into. So it's a little bit uncomfortable from that point of view. But we've said transitory development is something that we want. We would like to see more people living around LRT stations. Why not one that's 250 meters away? When we look at transit-oriented development, we've got this LRT line, which basically is superseding the ARP for the area. But it goes to some of the discussions we had about the Southside bike grid and some of the people that were opposing the new bike lanes. Because I live in Hazeldean, I don't live in Strathcona, but I use the 83rd Ave bike route essentially as a commuter. Um, as much as I've fought against shortcutting through neighborhoods, that's what I do on my bike. And we're sort of seeing the same thing with 
LRT because there's not a lot of destinations in Oliver. It's mostly residential, just adjacent to downtown. So that LRT station, it really is a commuter route through their neighborhood. And our transit-oriented development policy is basically saying, because we're encouraging commuters to ride the train through your neighborhood, your ARP doesn't matter so much. The thing that your community developed, that that made me a little bit nervous. Um, and you sort of saw it with the media releases this week. You, we, we searched before. Right. In planning for this show, we're, we're thinking, well, why did council approve this? Let's find some news articles and get the quotes of them supporting their decision. Not a single one. No counselor wants to stand behind this issue. Some of them probably think, oh, you know, it follows the policy. It's in our best interests. But they don't want to own this because there's nothing really popular about this decision. Or like you say, it's not in my backyard, so I can vote in favor of it. And I just won't talk to the media about why I voted in favor of it. And I'll be off scot-free. There's maybe an element of that. You're right that that part of Oliver in particular is very residential. And so, you know, mainly it's for commuters coming through there. Um, But there is a LRT station there and having more people living right around it that can get on the train to go other places is a good thing. Um, The other thing I like about this is the larger suites that are now at the base of it. So I do think we need some broader diversity in terms of the housing types that are available to people. I don't think they all need to come attached to a 23-story tower, but it's a small win and I'll take it. Yeah, I I don't think there's any way this tower gets approved without family housing included in it. Right. But there's another big change affecting downtown, and that's going to be coming up in really less than a month. Marijuana's coming to Edmonton, and we passed a pretty permissive bylaw, at least compared to other places in Alberta. Mac, what did we pass? So in Alberta, municipalities, it's up to them to decide how they're going to deal with cannabis and whether or not you can smoke. Uh, and what Edmonton City Council passed this week was a 10-meter ban. So if you are within 10 meters of a door or a window or a bus stop, or if you're on a park that has kids' equipment on it, you're not allowed to smoke not just cannabis, but also tobacco. Which is such a welcome change. Uh, I'm going to rag on smokers all through the podcast. The situation that always bothered me, it was last year or a couple years ago at Canada Day. I was at the ledge. I showed up three hours early. I camped out. I got the perfect spot. I had my blanket set out. I had my chairs. And then five minutes before the fireworks started, a huge crowd of people came up and started smoking right beside me. And it ruined the whole experience. I think restricting smoking is something that's long overdue. Smokers, they're welcome to smoke in the city. We can have dedicated zones in parks. We can have areas on the sidewalk. But I think carte blanche to emit noxious fumes, everyone, I think it's time has passed. I'm not going to support smokers either. (laughs) I have uh, no love for the cigarette smoke that I'm forced to pass through, you know, walking around downtown or other places. I think it's a good decision that they made here. I'm glad that it wasn't just cannabis. So many other municipalities have just dealt with cannabis. And what we've done in Edmonton here is put the two together and said, there's not really that much of a difference between smoking tobacco and smoking cannabis. So in St. Albert, for instance, they've just banned cannabis full stop. If you're in public, not only can you not smoke it, you can't eat it when when we get edibles, which is a bit surprising to me. Um, Councillor Ben Henderson did propose an amendment that would make it a five meter rule and then kind of gather more information. And that narrowly failed six to seven. And it made a bit of sense. Councillor Henderson, he was talking about areas like White Ave because there's right. doors and windows everywhere. Uh, 
do we want people running to the medians in the middle of the road to smoke up? Probably not safe when they're getting high. This effectively bans smoking along places like White Avenue. Which I'm fine with, but I can understand how some people might not be fine with. This was actually a pretty important rule to pass because we discussed it in the last sort of bout of cannabis legislation. Right. If you don't allow smoking in public, you have effectively prohibited cannabis use for a good portion of Edmontonians, especially the ones downtown, because people renting often can't smoke in their apartment. Right. If they don't have a balcony, that means you have effectively continued the prohibition on cannabis, even though it's legal. So next on this is council's going to review again in late spring 2019 to see if we need to make any adjustments. But for now, when cannabis is legal on October 17th, you'll have to be 10 meters away. This issue I find has been so overblown. I went and visited a couple places where cannabis is legal. So I was in Amsterdam this summer. I was in Seattle last winter. And yeah, sure, occasionally you'd walk by somewhere and get a skunky smell. But it was not what the old ladies on their couches all feared, where suddenly there would be a haze of, and you'd get a contact high just by walking down the street. That's really not what cannabis is going to be. And most people prefer to use cannabis in the comfort of their own home. I, I mean, I think most people are, when push comes to shove, they're going to do something like an edible. Like, why would you go through the hassle of smoking it when you could do it in a different way? There are so many condo boards that have had meetings over the last year freaking out about grow ops and things like that. I, it's, I agree with you, overblown. There's another issue that came up this week, which honestly, I think it's a nothing issue, but you wanted to talk about it. So you'll have to convince me. The Northlands Exhibition Lands redevelopment, we finally have some semblance of a maybe plan i'm not selling it because i don't believe in it i'm just thinking of you dear listeners and this is just a brief update so now what we've seen are four concepts um which is just another step this has been a long road since the well really since the approval of the downtown arena and then what happens to rexall place and to the lands around it and now we've seen the city of edmonton take over the expo center or edc more specifically take over the expo center you know northland's kind of effectively non-existent here. Um, and now the question is, what do we do with all this land, right? We've got this great big asset in the center of the city. What do we do with it? Four concepts now. There's a range of options, everything from sell the land or sell most of the land off to developers to go all in and build some sort of a regional park um, with housing and, and other mixed uses for the space. Or your favorite, host the Olympics there. Yeah, I mean, there's always been this suggestion that now that we've closed the city center airport and that will be entirely developed into, you know, residential neighborhood, that the Northlands grounds are the last sort of centrally located big pocket of land to host a big event like an Olympics or something. Not that I think we should do that. We good absolutely luck. should not. Good luck with that, Calgary. Knock yourselves out, but I don't think it's a great idea. So there's been that discussion, like, should we save some of this land for a purpose like that? Or, you know, other large regional events that we might want to bid on and, and host. But most of these proposals are looking at more residential and then more park space, which is never a bad thing. I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, you know, Northland's Vision 2020, which came out years ago. I'm thinking about the debate around Rexall Place and how when... Iveson suggested closing it. That was a huge fight and it prompted protests and several hours of council debate. I honestly don't see this as even an incremental step forward. This is just someone putting out another plan. Uh, council is going to arduously and painfully debate each aspect of this. And I don't 
I don't expect to see anything on these lands. Well, the difference I would suggest is that with Northlands 2020, that was kind of their Hail Mary. This is our vision, but we have no way to make this happen without the support of, you know, the city and the province and probably the feds. In this case, this is coming from the city of Edmonton. Right? Which owns Northlands now. Right. right. Amalgamated it into the EEDC. But this is a plan that the city of Edmonton could actually take forward and use its ability to implement if they so chose. At council's direction, of course. At council's direction. That is what administration in this city follows to the letter. (laughs) Something that actually happened, in my opinion, this week. Fair enough. um, Is sanctuary cities. We talked about this previously, how the committee went through and put together some draft recommendations for our access without fear policies so that, you know, residents who are here undocumented or with expired documents don't have to worry about getting you know, a bylaw ticket and then getting kicked out of Canada. It came up at council this week and unexpectedly was a pretty contentious issue. This was a committee recommendation that we should do this. Like you would think at council, it would be like, okay, let's vote in favor of it. But there was more to it. Yeah. So leading the charge on this issue was Councillor Sarah Hamilton, who she was getting visibly emotional and you could tell like this was something that was very close to her heart and she was very passionate about it. And She said, like, there's no room for some of the discussions we've been having. And she even called out Councillor Zadok for grandstanding on this issue and using these people's, you know, struggles just to get by as sort of like political fodder, which this is probably the biggest sort of inter-councillor conflict we've seen on council this term. Yeah, definitely. Um, She said she was, quote, furious about the discussion that they were having, um, the sanctuary city policy did pass 10 to 3. The three opposed were Councillors Zadok, Nickel, and Katarina. But it was really only Zadok that got under her skin, it seemed like. Yeah, well, I mean, you always know that um, Councillor Nickel and Katarina are going to vote against this policy. Uh, we saw it, we talked about it last week when in executive committee, Katarina, he sort of presented, you know, his opt-out card with transit passes. That's, that's going to be my thing. And Nickel, he just votes no to a lot of stuff. But Zadok, the new boy on the block, he he really, really went at it and said, you know, this is not necessary and sort of demeaned the plight of a lot of these uh, individuals who may not have legal status here because of a whole host of conditions. One of them being a lot of the individuals in Edmonton are former temporary foreign workers who basically don't have a path to permanent residency or citizenship because of a program that I would call exploitative. Zadok said that this was a Band-Aid solution. He said it would provide some relief but wouldn't solve the problem. Which, fair point, it won't solve the problem. The problem isn't ours to solve. Immigration is a federal concern. The feds aren't solving the problem, so I think penalize... And this is... Councillor Hamilton's point, penalizing the people who are most affected by an uncaring government, probably not the best solution to fix something long term. Councillor Paquette said they're contributing to our society. They're our neighbors. I think last time we talked about this, you called it a value setting exercise. I think you're right. Well, and Councillor Paquette, View Weekly's voted top councillor of the year. There's one thing I wanted to bring up on this issue, and we've seen it down in Calgary. So in Ward 11, which I was following and got tagged in because I ran in Ward 11 in Edmonton, so everyone was confusing me for the Ward 11 candidate, Jeremy Farkas. He won in Ward 11 in Calgary. Um, 
he hasn't been having such a good time in Calgary. And we're not going to talk too much about Calgary City Council, but we'll put a link to really interesting article in the show notes. Jeremy Farkas has not been making friends on council. He's been called uncooperative, combative, and I'm not saying it's this bad in Edmonton, but we have specifically some councillors who have come in and councillors who have been on for a while who aren't the most cooperative councillors. And on council, even if you're the mayor, you're one voice of 13. If you can't get people on your side, nothing moves forward. So this is what I've seen a lot, especially with Councillor Zadek, is he's very much an ideologue and he doesn't sort of change his opinions and he's sort of belligerent in it. I remember I spoke at council about the speed limit issue and how the city policy doesn't allow for anyone to actually reduce the speed limit. We're not going to get too far into that, but suffice to say that is true and I mentioned it. Halfway through my questions, Councillor Zadek said, You know, we have a policy about this. So if you really cared about this issue, you should have just used the policy. And that's all my questions. So it's this issue where he is looking for any out on the issues and something that sort of follows his ideology. And we're seeing this and we're going to see it on budget time more and more. But you have the counselors who are going to vote no just to vote no. And... Councillor Nickel, this was his legacy. Uh, he, for those who don't have a breadth of Edmonton history, he was on council before he got voted off. Uh, he lost to Don Iveson. But he was famous for voting no to every budget just because, you know, he was a contrarian penny pitcher. Right. Um, he said he went on a, you know, an introspective journey and has changed. But maybe in preparation for his run in UCP Edmonton South, he's really amping up that anti-cooperative partisan rhetoric. So, in conclusion, on Troy's grandstanding, we have this issue, which is really showing council's inner colors. And it's so great because it is such a non-issue. Administration even went so much as to say, like, yeah, there's a very small number of people that are affected by this. But it really came out and showed council's true colors and what they care about. And I think as a preface for budget time, when we're talking about hard cuts and the people who are going to be most affected by these cuts are most vulnerable people, I think we're setting up to see an actual explosive budget time. So maybe budget will be exciting this year. I think it's a really interesting perspective you bring. If I take the people out of it and I don't think about who the councillors are, a 10-3 vote is a pretty healthy thing to me, right? Because if it's always unanimous, that means we're probably not very representative of our city. There's no way that everybody agrees. Um, you don't want things to be 7-6 all the time because that's just splitting hairs and, you know, too much emotion could drive the vote one way or the other. But a 10-3 vote to me feels like you've got at least a little block of people that are willing to represent that other point of view and maybe ask some probing questions that lead to a better outcome. But 10 people in favor also mean that you're not standing still. You're moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, uh, after five years, knock on wood, we're moving forward with the Metro line. December 4th, 2018 is the new deadline. After the previous deadline, which was final back in April. So this came up this week and it's nothing. 
Thallus isn't going to deliver the signaling system on December 4th. There's anyone who believes this hasn't been paying attention to the issue at all. What was interesting this week is Adam Lachlan, the uh, deputy city manager of infrastructure, infrastructure. Yeah, he was up there giving his presentation and the city has a new plan, a contingency plan, which they're going to start work on basically now. And I think they called it Plan C. Plan C. (laughs) Plan A was to have the contract delivered. Plan B was to have the contract delivered late. And Plan C is to say, oh boy, I guess we're doing it ourselves. Yeah. So essentially the root of it is Thales was supposed to deliver a CBTC system. What that essentially means is the trains can talk to each other with radio waves and, you know, they can communicate with each other and more accurately determine their position in real time so they can go closer together. This is in contrast with our old system, which is a block-based system, which is basically the city is divided into little blocks and only one train can be in one block at any one time. That makes it so that trains don't crash into each other. And when we had one line, that was sufficient. Yes. Um, The problem is the metro line, which sort of aligns with the capital line before branching off at Churchill Station. The proposed solution is that they can adjust the block sizes and have the old block-based system running the metro line and the capital line, and we can return to regular frequency on the capital line, and we can still get to our target frequency with the metro line. What administration said is that the capital line would return to a five-minute frequency during peak service, and it would provide a foundation, that's the that's a quote, provide a foundation for five-minute frequency on the metro line at some point in the future. The argument there was the metro line currently doesn't have the ridership to warrant more than that level of service. The interesting part about that was the timelines. Basically, he said, you know, we can have this done. We're going to start some preliminary work on it now. But basically, in December, if Thales doesn't deliver... We can deliver. In quarter one, 2019, we'd be operational. So my question is, if we can deliver a working system using our existing technology in four months, why didn't we do it five years ago? (laughs) Too logical, Troy. Too logical. But that's a question that really, really needs to be asked on this file because this is what I fear. I fear administration had their heads so far up their butt that like we're dug in we we the city auditor said we messed up this entire contract we shouldn't have split the contracts we committed to the signaling system we committed wrong but damn it we're gonna commit this is the sunk cost fallacy the sunk cost and oh boy has the metro line been a sunk cost over the past five years We now have the opportunity to tell you about another new podcast that is about to launch called Otherwise. It's hosted by a group of youth who believe in communal growth and social change. And they're holding a launch party on Friday, September 28th. You can find tickets for that on Eventbrite. Uh, Troy, you know something about Otherwise. Yeah, so you can check it out at otherwiseshow.com and listen to the introduction episode. It's hosted by Ahmed Nomadic Ali and Karen Tang. Um... For those of you who are paying attention, Karen Tang was the one who was running against me in Ward 11 and wiped the floor with me in the election. Now, even on my own podcast, she has sent her tendrils in and is forcing me to read ads for her other shows. So kudos, Karen. You have wiped the floor with me once again, and you've asserted your dominance conclusively. Have a good time with Otherwise. That's all for this week. Uh, My pride has been destroyed quite enough. I can't, I can't go on. 
Uh, Speaking Municipally, it's a production of Taproot Edmonton, and we're really excited. Uh, Taproot Edmonton's been nominated for a Canadian Online Publishing Award. So last year during the municipal election, we built a microsite. This was a website that let you find out who was running in your ward, where to vote. And then on election night, showed you the results, gathered news and events and things like that along the way. And we're really excited to have been recognized for that. So we're in the category of best infographic or interactive story. If you want to check that out, it's at yegvote.taprootedmonton.ca. That's right. And if you want to support more award-worthy work, hopefully, uh, we'd love for you to become a member of Taproot. Memberships are just $10 a month or $100 a year. And you can find all the details at taprootedmonton.ca. But until next week, that's all for us. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.